everyone, and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, a podcast where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s. As always, we're uh, joined in the distance by our dog, because we always have to kick him out of the room when we start recording, and he hates it. Uh, I'm your host, Natalie, and with me as always is my co-host, Hadrian. How are you doing, Hadrian? All right. You got some black-ass water that you're taking a drink of, so I'm going to have to fill time until you swallow it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I need to do that because, you know, we got to, you have to stay hydrated. And uh, black water here is good for you if you believe that alkaline water is better for you, which it oh, actually no. isn't. Oh, no. So, and uh, I got this promotional box of black water uh, because they were like, we need brand ambassadors. And I was like, yeah, okay. And uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to drink this water that tastes vaguely dirty, and it's fine. I, I, yeah, I, I did not care for it. Maybe if it were cold, I, I it's would... It's probably... I don't mind it being warm, they say, to have it chilled. I had it over ice, and it made no difference to me, but, you know. Yeah, I thought it tasted just kind of like dirty water, personally, but... But yeah, it's not even really brown. It's it, black. It's just, like, dark brown, so... It looks black when it's in the bottle. Like, it probably if you pour it out, it is lighter. But. Yeah, but it's very aesthetic. It's an aesthetic beverage, and that's what they <laughs> sell it for. Like, they actually, beyond their, their bullshit, like, alkaline water stuff, they say, this is an aesthetic beverage. And I'm like, mmm. So that's why I have have some of it. I've gone through four of 12 bottles in the last two days. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't realize you got that much of it. A whole case. Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking a monster because I went through all my CC lemons, and I'm sad. Well, you could have so, gone and got more CC lemons. Now I'm having my second favorite soft drink, a Monster Energy Ultra Sunrise. And to let everyone know, occasionally I get the, oh no, my insides hurt. I'm like, yeah, I should maybe stop drinking monsters every day. No! And then she'll stop drinking monsters every day. Like, oh, I feel better. I'm going to drink more monsters. And then it happens again. It's been a long time since I felt like I was having a stomach ache because of monsters. And given when that was happening, it could very well have been anxiety. So... Yeah, but I also I'm 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 making this a light dig, not a you know, <laughs> cut, like shitting on your whole life situation. More just like there are three empty cans of Monster on this desk, and the fourth one is the one that you're drinking right now. That's like to be fair, that's like several days. Oh, yeah, I yeah. didn't. Those cans did not all get there today. Oh no, no, you have a. I have no people who go through Mountain Dew. At, Ten times the rate you go through Monster, and I feel that this is an an equally damaging process if you <laughs> drink both those substances at that rate. Oh yeah, no. Um, I am what is called a fast metabolizer. Caffeine has no effect whatsoever on me. You've you've seen it. I mm -hmm. I can drink a Diet Dr Pepper in bed and immediately fall asleep because my body the processes the caffeine so quickly that it um just doesn't do anything. And energy drinks don't do much, but they, I can very slightly feel a difference after I drink an energy drink. And so that's why I started drinking them in the morning, because nothing else will wake me up in the morning. And energy drinks don't really wake me up in the morning, but I at least get like a good hour and a half before, I, after I drink an energy drink where I feel awake and i feel it's probably the taurine rather than like the actual caffeine element you're right it's probably something else in it that it that it means because if it were just caffeine it wouldn't do it no oh, yeah no so. there are other there are other stimulants in energy drinks which is why they have such a, a deleterious effect on you know heart rhythms yeah coffee also 
I, I did a little bit of a boost out of a cup, out of, a cup of coffee, but yeah. about the same amount, maybe a little bit less. But After that, that time, about 10 years ago, I overdosed on caffeine. I just have not been able to do a whole lot of caffeinated things at one time. Yeah, I'm so jealous of people who get an effect out of caffeine. It must be wonderful to be able to wake up well, <laughs> just so, by drinking something. Well, that was why I overdosed. Was I couldn't. I was going through a, a process where nothing was helping me wake up. And I took a bunch of no-dos and drank a bunch of Red Bulls and then drank some coffee. And then that was a, a bad scene. So moral of the story is you're being more responsible than I was in 2008 when I could not wake up working a morning shift at a gas station. Yeah. You know, what does wake me up is the blue rags. That's surprising. And uh, so we're going to start with that this week. Um, album from 1997, Rag and Roll by the Blue Rags. Um, this is a band that was from Asheville, North Carolina, formed by the pianist Jade Holyfield and guitarist Scott Sharp. They are... I, I don't think there's a convenient label to put on this. Um, it's, it's like the best I can do is old-time music. It, it, it's a, a swing and blues review with very appalachian influenced picking it's i mean a lot of ragtime and bluegrass and this i think like more than those than those, are, those are those are put into the whole spectrum of the thing i just said okay um well they they explicitly say we are not a swing band yeah and they, they said they're too fast to be a swing um and that's somewhat pithy in the like uh, description of of swing because swing can be fast but so their the most direct comparison I think would be like the squirrel nut zippers yes. and and how this is well so we were texting about this earlier this week and how I did the, I I put this is that the the blue rags are a old timey country influenced band with a lot of blues and jazz worked into it and the squirrel nut zippers who are from the same state uh, same city I same think. same city yeah <laughs> they are very much more L A jazz swing. Because if you listen to their sound, one of these you'd find at a barn raisin. One of right. these you'd find at a nightclub in L.A. And so, like, that's, they, they come from the same realm of music, but that's why you wouldn't think that the Squirrel Zippers came from the same place, because they very much gravitated to a more West Coast jazz-influenced swing. Yeah, and this is very blues-influenced. Yes. Like blues is, is entirely the the basis of, of all this. And I think um, you could use this as a way to maybe hate the blues less. <laughs> this is the kind of blues that I can stand, which is old-timey, sort of like front porch blues, or, or even like into jump blues a little bit, though they don't have horns, so it's not like true jump blues, but like... I like Barbecue Bob. Barbecue Bob is my favorite old blues man. <laughs> give give Barbecue Bob a listen if you never have. That's the kind of blues that I can get into. I can't get into, you know, the like the blues that we get around here, which is basically all you can go to see if you want to see live music when there is live music in I mean, the town. Is, everything we get around here is just George Strait alternative. Like, it, it is... Well, it's, it's a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan wannabes, too. True, it's yeah. the electric blues that is just... Lots of overdrive pedals and soloing, and, and it's just not interesting to me in the least. I mean, and I like that stuff if you are in a, a, a mood for it. Um, I very much prefer uh, older blues and more independent and, well, I guess, alternative blues when it comes to that. 
But there's really a revival for this stuff. As there was a swing revival in the, for a hot second in the 90s, there is a return to form of what blues sounded like. Especially also also bluegrass. Like So blues and bluegrass are both getting like this like nice resurgence and it's all being uh, filtered through alt-country. Because all of that is sort of melding into just like... So we haven't talked about this, and there wasn't a whole lot of it in the '90s, but uh, goth country is becoming a real fucking thing, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's where all that's coming from now. Yeah, see, and and I, what I liked about this album is nothing on this album is slow. This is no, just like we said last week, Melt Banana was a marathon. So is this. This is but this is a ragtime marathon, um, and it's really fun, and just. It, it it's not it, like it, they got lumped into that late 90s swing revival but like this could not be farther from like the cherry poppin daddies um which is also really, a la swing it, yeah and really it couldn't be uh, i mean it could be a little farther from the squirrel nut zippers but like i don't I, I hesitate to say that like this is way more serious because a the squirrel nut zippers were really good musicians like I, i'm not gonna sit here and shit on them i like them a lot um but also, like, there was a very uh, conscious, like, Mary Melody's cartoons influence in Squirrel Nut Zippers. And Catherine Whalen even said, like, Betty Boop is a big influence on me. Oh, yeah. So, and- like, there was a, like, I don't, I wouldn't call them a novelty act, but there was an element of novelty act to them. Whereas this is, like... Like if I don't know if you looked at pictures of these guys, but they look like a bunch of fucking hillbillies who, like, this is real for them. Oh yeah, and I didn't, like this is who they are. Yeah, and so when I first listened to this, so there's a NPR show which plays here and I think a few other states. It's called the Pick and Post, and the Pick and Post sort of is the, at the corner or really a junction of old timey blues country and swing in a way that it's like this is a a folk tradition it's not necessarily like what we consider folk music in the way that like people warbling in a field was folk music this is actual folk music this is what the people play right and this is what they're doing and that's why i was interested i was surprised when you submitted when you suggested this album because i was just like this is nothing like you would actually listen to and it's something that I like a whole lot, but kind of hide that I like because it it really brings up the you have someone in your family who knows how to fiddle, and then a fucking fiddle. <laughs> Though there is happens. no fiddle on this album. Yeah, yeah, it's... but it's but it invokes a similar vibe with the guitar and their rhythm. Yeah, it, I mean, primarily this is guitar and upright piano. Yeah, and it's kind of a honky tonk piano sound. Um, or blues piano, but but again, played at 90 miles an hour. Like, which is the thing you get with fiddles. That's why I made yeah. that connection. And that's why I compare it to bluegrass. Like on the first track, Salty Dog, there's some straight up like, I mean, they're, they're sh- fucking shredding on an acoustic guitar yes. on that song. And it's awesome. Uh, my, my favorite song on this album is Three Nights Experience. I I love those kinds of, it's like... Yeah. I, this like kind of story songs. Yes, I've always loved songs like that, and it's yeah. just like um, I came in as drunk as I can be, and then there's like a hat on the the peg where my hat ought to be, and it's like I I like it. <laughs> yeah, and that one is so most of this album is covers. Um, Be my salty dog is just one of those songs that's 
credited to traditional mm-hmm. Three Nights Experience as a cover. Uh, Bourgeois Blues is a Lead Belly cover. Sister Kate, Dr. Jazz, I believe Bootlegger Blues is a cover. It's oh, that not... absolutely is. I've heard okay, that Because it's not written by anyone in the band, but I could not find anything on Google for Arthur Phelps, who is credited as the songwriter. Yeah, that's where I recommend if we ever do another album like this, that you look up o- the Ozark Folkways and uh, the Pick and Post, because they do a lot of, like way of trying to like authenticate some of these older songs that are missing but bootlegger blues i heard as a kid and i heard that in the middle of fucking nowhere arkansas that's one of my favorite songs on on bourgeois blues and and bootlegger blues are two of my favorites um i like be my salty dog just because it fucking shreds and uh sister kate is really good Mm -hmm. oh and and then also the last song in the album is a cover of i got rhythm um and then the other six are their originals yeah, and that, that's something that's, like, we, we talk a lot about, like, so, I feel a lot of bluegrass, blues, and, and country doesn't get a lot of talk because they're not, quote-unquote, creating new music. But there's a lot of folk tradition in how this this, this kind of music is, is played. So having an album of covers matters because it's entirely your interpretation of a song yeah and these are heavily interpreted yeah. i mean the, these songs originally were not played this fast and this hard and this you know i, I keep saying shred it shreds but like they're they, really they fucking good musicians yeah it, well, it shreds in the same way that really good bluegrass does mm-hmm. where it's just like they fucking can pick like nobody's business and and it's awesome and that's where and that's so I highly recommend if no one's seen it. Uh, Ken Burns has a documentary series on the history of country music. And it is vital watching if you care about the history of American music at all. And they get into that subject of when bluegrass started started becoming a thing because it was played by people who played mandolins. And when you play a mandolin, you play super fucking fast because if there are so many strings, you have to like make that, that intonation happen over so many different notes. And it's 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 interesting how that was so vilified compared to slower songs. But then you even get like uh, Hank Williams, some I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. And that song has been covered by everybody under the fucking sun. And no one minds that because everyone wants to hear someone's rendition of I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. And that's the power of covers. That's the power of tradition and folk tradition and music. And it's not a problem. You don't have to be creating your own pieces to be a legend. Hank Williams is a legend because he did write all these songs, but he was a very depressed drunk. And who could he write a sad fucking song? And that's different. And that's why I, I don't know. I like this a whole lot because I really resonate with that. Just like, we're going to recover a bunch of songs that we like, put our spin on it, make it super fucking fast. And you'll want to throw down at the, at the dirt floor peanut club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this was, uh, <clears throat> this was released by sub pop, which is pretty crazy. I mean, like this is on the same lo- label as Nirvana and, and a bunch of other, you know, Seattle sound. It's very early nineties grunge and indie bands. Um, and they, so I, I knew about this album back when it came out because I read music magazines and I saw an ad for it and I didn't listen to it because the ad was so fucking obnoxious and it was just like, 
this is the, like this is the real thing. It, the whole ad was just like squirrel nut zippers are a bunch of fucking shitty posers, but this is the real shit. And it didn't say squirrel nut zippers. It just said like this isn't like novelty swing revival bullshit. This is like the real deal. And it just made them sound so fucking pretentious and shitty. And I was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, it, it, I I think you can successfully have that kind of like punk rock. You know, the the mainstream or fucking posers and and we're for real in certain instances that like you're already tr- like if you're sub pop, you're trying to sell this to the people who like scroll <laughs> and doing that by shitting on this this kind of beloved band at the time. It was just the worst way to, to do it. And I think like, I mean, obviously, I, I when I finally did listen to this, I, I loved it. Um, and so like you, there was a crossover audience there, but I feel like sub pop just fucking dropped the ball so hard on marketing this by trying to make them like punk rock. And and it's like, these guys aren't that like, these these are country boys. Yeah. These are, these are mountain. These, these guys had disputes between haulers (laughs) and they know yeah and i don't know that these guys are that that real hillbillies but like but that's the, that's what you can get in the like the way that especially the 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 singing happens on this album it has a very distinct art, art like artifice to it yeah which is great and i've because his voice changes throughout different songs and he imitates a woman's voice through uh three nights experience which i've always loved that i don't know why that like yeah, I think that's in Sister Kate. It's in both. That. Okay, I didn't remember it being... Drunk old man! It's <laughs> the cabbage your mama gave to me! Yeah, and it's very... Again, it's very ragtimey. Like, I mean, this is totally the Looney Tunes frog, the way he sort of like... <laughs> like, words well, at the end of... <laughs> I, I, so it isn't just ragtime. I, I get where you're coming with with that, but there's it's more than that, and it can't just be bass codified in ragtime because like ragtime was a very distinct period of music that then evolved into everything else so you had ragtime as a popular form of music it very much was and then that directly influenced country sorry yeah well i'm just saying that particular like like looney tunes frog like sort of whininess to to certain notes is mm-hmm. is there and i think it is like i mean they're called the blue rags you can't say there's no ragtime influence um so but yeah i think there's also a lot of bluegrass like when they harmonize it's so so bluegrass and appalachian folk mm-hmm. that it's i do feel like those are the are the major influences on the vocals um and so, yeah, like, if you like Squirrel Nut Zippers, you're definitely going to enjoy this. Um, it's just not, it's close enough that that if you're interested, I think that's, like, for me, Squirrel Nut Zippers were very much my introduction to that genre or those genres of music because I I never got into blues. I, I'm not a country fan and I just hadn't listened to much jazz. Mm-hmm. Um even though I like it, it just, you know, nothing, I hadn't been shown the right stuff that I would like. Um, I mean, it's very subjective. And like people, like we want to dismiss certain whole genres of music with very limited examples. And like, there's something for everyone within 
virtually right. every genre of music. I just I realized today that I'm probably super into Anka. <laughs> I didn't think that I would be. I've softened on it over the years. Man, when I first heard Anka, I hated that shit so much. Yeah, but it's the same as like country and Yeah, it's tear in my beer music just for Jap- old Japanese men. Yeah, and I identify as an old Japanese man on a spiritual level, so <laughs> yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I don't know, I mean, this is one where I, I don't know how much else you can say about it. Like, if you like old-timey music and you like blues and and country and ragtime and bluegrass and you want to hear it played really fucking fast, like, this this is an album for you. And I, I'm, I'm just not enough, I, I don't know enough about this, this kind of music to have a really intelligent conversation about it, it other than just to say, like, I, I really like what these guys do. Yeah, and like this is very evocative, evocative of what uh, alt country is become is returning to now because the uh, Garth Brooks level of like pop country has completely, completely eroded what country was for a long time. Yeah, and this is not, and this is also not even going back to. Uh, you know, Grendel Opry, because the Grendel, like, Grendel Opry in its heyday would have fucking hated this, too, because it was too much, it has too much bluegrass in it. But it is what people were playing at home. It's what people were playing in group gatherings. And it, it's a, it has a, a direct lineage. If when more musicians tour, it's a touring musician sound, which I think is very important with how the one of the founders of the band is now in like touring composite competitions. Yeah. Um, Scott Sharp, who the guitarist, um, he, he plays in, you know, like traditional blues, um, competitions or exhibitions or whatever you want to call it. But, yeah. but very, um, I mean, it's, it's so like, I feel like if you're not in the Southern United States, like you don't, really know how much we still have the blues down here <laughs> but i mean locally for us it's you can go see blues any time when you know when there are shows if there ever are again and you know there's just fucking blues everywhere if, if you've ever been to memphis there's fucking blues everywhere and then um, the arkansas like outside of Fayette, the Fayetteville area where we are, if you go towards uh, Eureka Springs and you go further up in the Ozarks into, you know, uh, Joplin and further into, you know, the Branson area, there is definite, like, pick and folk happening still. And so, like, Eureka Springs has their own, like, Grendel Opry kind of setup of a, of a recurring cast of musical performers and people who tour and guest. Mountain Home has uh, their own... Uh, folk center for music like this and all of this is really important because it's a tradition that never went away and it's something that came directly from Appalachia into this area and because of there's this distinct sound that continues to if you look at how big the Appalachian mountain range is like this music has never left because it was a large part of the foundation of music in this country and so we, that's why we have, you know, Chicago as being a second home of blues. And we have all of these things. That, the sound is universal. It's just, we only credit certain places with its, with its, you know, maintenance. And that's not true. And the, the, this, this album speaks to a good 
broad tradition that it can't be any one thing, but it is directly inspired by what is of a culture. And so this is so very over time and place when these guys were getting together to perform. And this band didn't survive because what they were more interested in doing was not the marketable, like, swing sound, which is okay. Yeah, and, and they they made two albums, and the, the other one is, like, just a country album, basically, which mm-hmm. was disappointing to me because I what I like about this is it never slows down. And what I listen to on the other album is very slow, draggy country, which I just cannot get into at all. Um, if I'm going to listen to slow music, it has to sound like the Tocto Twins or it has to be like The Cure or Lycia or some slow, depressing goth shit. Well, I, I listen to a lot of country and I liked their second album. But I, but that was, the I think, the, the impulse I had when I first heard this one and you recommended it for the show. I was like, oh, honey, this is so country. And we we can talk about ragtime, but like this is country through and through and it's blues through and through and it, it's it just manifests in a sound that's similar to swing and it, it really i like that bands like this exist i like the music like this exists and i'm glad that we covered this because i've been looking for an avenue to to <laughs> introduce a lot of things that natalie is probably not going to enjoy i mean we'll we'll do their second album eventually but yeah i'm definitely not gonna enjoy it but I enjoy. But I this. love this one. Yeah, this album's great, and I think there's more. I think the more you listen, this, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm not gonna die on this hill. But like, I think you'll have a better time with what I intend to bring to the table than you would with Roxy music. We will find out. <laughs> you can't hate everything that I like. I don't, but I don't like Roxy music, and I, and I don't like slow weepy country music those, those are two things i don't like and agony me. <laughs> okay so as i bang the mouse around and that will get caught on the recording i'm sure so on this one as far as ranking it i was thinking that it would probably go in the like 11 to 15 range i could see it going at 13 13 yeah yeah, I think that's a reasonable. I think it's a reasonable place for it. It's a good album. It's not necessarily of note, but it is outstanding in what it's trying to do. Yeah. Okay. That yeah, look at this. It's me. getting easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're doing what I wanted to do, which is filling out the not the top ten, and I'm consciously making choices to pick albums lately that I don't think will be top ten. Just to. I mean, I am too. Just to have a a broader variety of music so other stuff will get easier to rank because you can look at like well here's something similar to it what let's rank it in relation to that um so yeah so that puts it between speech sweet treat so we get to like marathon albums back to back which is nice and then or I, I guess not there i keep saying marathon but really they're more like a sprint um and so it'll be between speech sweet creek and viva la woman at number 13 yeah all right yeah i'm i'm totally happy with that I think that's good. Yeah, and it breaks up the Japanese blog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like, I think if you if we're talking about it in terms of mus- musicianship, like, is there anything on here that even touches this? I mean, like in terms of compositions, oh, no. uh, the Divine the, Comedy. Yeah, the it, Divine it, Comedy, but, and I would say probably Susie, 
Uh, just because, look, her band is good. But, yeah, that's, like, Sparks, I love them to death, but they're sloppy in a lot of places. I, I definitely don't think Susie is, like, anywhere in the same universe as these guys in terms of musicianship. I guess Pearl Jam would be, because they can kind of shred, so. Anyway, doesn't matter. We're going to put this at number 13 and move along to our second album, so uh, we'll take a break here and come back to talk about Peter Murphy, speaking of goths. back and we're going to talk about our second album of the week which is from 1995 so far a very strong year on our on our list 1995 and this one is cascade by peter murphy take it away hadrian oh christ yeah it is cascade by peter murphy so i love i love goth music that's pretty apparent at this point uh, on this show and I really love the house, and I, to some extent, like Peter Murphy. And I was really mad when we started doing this al- when we started doing this podcast that the album Deep is not qualifying for in our 1990s because it was released in December of 1989. All of its singles were released in 1990. It's fucking a travesty that I can't talk about that album. And then it's a good album. The album after that, which was holy smoke is goddamn trash. I was I was desperately was like we have to talk about Peter Murphy. I can't talk about Holy Smoke first because I can't deal with that. And then I was like, oh fuck, Cascade exists, so we're gonna talk about Cascade. And that's kind of my interpretation of it this way is kind of what Cascade is. It is is Peter Murphy making a Peter Murphy album that is self indulgent in the worst ways. And it has one of genuinely the worst songs we have ever listened to on this fucking show. Gliding like a goddamn whale. It's just gliding like a whale. I don't think that comes close to Fragile or um, Grapes of Wrath. I still think those two, and and Space Hog, those are the three worst songs. I, I, think, I, think, I think it's the, the sincerity of gliding like a whale. Like, it's, just... It, just no, Peter Murphy. It's very sincere, and also I I thought that Susie, the other goth icon on our list, told us that all the dolphins and whales are gone. Yeah, so why were we gliding like them? Like, so yeah, we glided so, on out of there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so this is a not necessarily goth, not necessarily anything kind of Peter Murphy experience, because it, it it I struggle to classify it because. It gets listed as alternative rock, goth rock, and electronic. And I don't understand the electronic part. I mean, I guess there are sounds what have happened through a computer, but... Yeah, I think there's some, I mean, there's some synth, but it's... I would not call this electronic. I would call this Peter Murphy's rattle and hum, personally. Uh, yeah, that's really what it is. Peter uh, Murphy's the Joshua tree, actually. <sighs> I'll accept that too. I let's see what the chart positions were on this. All right, so yeah, it was it peaked at twenty at twenty one, on the CMJ top seventy five, and that's about it. And 
Critical reception. All music gave it a four out of five, so that's not so bad. That's wrong, though. Yeah, this album's not that great. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm gonna be real with you. <laughs> I think the song "I'll Fall with Your Knife" is a fucking banger. I also think the Scarlet Thing in You is a banger. That's, I think, that's the best song on the album. I think it's tied between those. I, I love "I'll Fall with Your Knife" because it's just one of those just like epic credit songs of the '90s that never <laughs> got used as a credit song, and I am a sucker for an epic credit song. But Mirror to My Woman's Mind starts this album, and we talk a lot about, you know, how to introduce your piece. This leaves you going, hmm. And then then Subway, you're like, okay. And then gliding like a whale, and like, Peter, what the fuck are you doing? Why? Why is it a thing? And it's just... So you mentioned Bauhaus, but like, we should probably talk a little about who Peter Murphy is for yes. people who don't know. Yeah, he he's he, the <laughs> lead singer of the house, and most well known for his deep, desperate attempt to emulate David Bowie's voice. Yeah, and and best known for you know Bella Lugosi's Dead. If, yeah. if you're not a hardcore goth, like that's the Bauhaus song you've probably heard. Yeah, and it's it. That's a fine. It's okay. Song. It's like it's, it's an okay. Nine it's, minute song. Yeah, should not be ten minutes long, but it, it's fine. Uh, Stigmata Martyr personally is my favorite Bauhaus song. It's a good. It's a good song. And that song's fantastic. But I mean, this is like the very earliest goth music, along with like the Birthday Party and Susie. And I really think that Peter Murphy's life peaked in the filming of The Hunger in which he is singing Bella Lugosi's Dead through a cage, while David Bowie is a vampire picking people up in nightclubs to murder them. Bowie is a vampire. No. <laughs> I highly recommend watching The Hunger if you've not seen it. It's great. Uh, David Bowie was actually a pretty good actor. Uh, just wasn't given a lot of opportunity to show it. <laughs> I say that, and... But yeah, watch The Hunger. It's great. But yeah, that was sort of like everything in Peter Murphy's life peaked at The Hunger and then was this long dis descent into, well, I I've, I've done a David Bowie thing. Now how do I pick up from there? And that turned into him apparently um, allegedly doing a lot of meth and getting in fights uh, circa 2019. Uh, Had a heart attack at a show recently. <sighs> Man just keeps on giving. Yeah, his, his recent uh, years have been troubled. He He's kind of had, sort of seems to have a breakdown every time he or Bauhaus performs. And that's something he wouldn't perform. Uh, so he, uh, in the course of his career and life, uh, converted to Islam and decided that he was no longer going to perform Stigmata Martyr. Arguably the most beloved song beyond Bill Lugosi's Dead. Yeah, except apparently they did start performing it again. Well, they did because their their company was like, hey, so we have to perform the, the most popular songs <clears> if you're <throat> going to be a fucking, you know, touring, re like, regroup situation. Yeah. And so I have a lot of love in my heart for Peter Murphy as a, a fractured human being who really wanted to sound more and more like David Bowie and just was slightly left of making that sound correct. And this album is that. It, it is a meandering 
self-reflection that I don't that I don't think helped him or helped anyone <laughs> because it is a lot of trying to make a sound happen and it's sort of just drifting away perhaps gliding like a whale <laughs> I mean I joked that this album is is his you know the Joshua tree and I do think it, it's a big time YouTube boner throughout the whole album but it really is I mean he's it's ambitious yeah. In the sense of, like, there's a bunch of different kinds of songs. Like, uh, I like I think the song Subway sounds like the the post New Order Smiths project electronic. Uh, Gliding like a whale is like this weird adult contemporary pow- power ballad, but then it has like just straight up. I had to look and see if Robin Guthrie played guitar on this because. There are two chords that are just played on the most Cocteau Twins ass sounding guitar ever. Uh, Disappearing is kind of like his take on grunge almost. It's kind of like Veruca Salt, but with guitar leads that sound like Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. Mercy Rain sounds kind of like Pink Floyd. Starlet Thing in You sounds like REM. Um, it, like it, it's. It, he's all over the place in a way that's relatively consistent. I mean, for the the number of influences, it's kind of just like his tour through early 90s alternative rock. Um, It's... It just... It's hurt by... It just has that thing that older artists do when they go solo where they just can't keep themselves out of adult contemporary. Because I think it's a very tired... It's coming from... a uh just a very distracted place and i think it's a like they they want to to be something other than they have always been but they can't entirely of like exercise that it's like i want to be myself i want to be known as who i am outside of my previous career because <laughs> bowie's fucking 90s career is entirely involved is entirely this and I have some things to say about Bowie's 90s output, but he was, so like, one of the most legendary artists of, like, the 20th century was having that fucking crisis in the 90s. People who were less skilled than him absolutely were having that fucking crisis. And that's what this album is. It's a well-orchestrated crisis (laughs) of someone trying to change their sound and still being like, "Eh, you're still the goth boy, son. And that's always there. It's like the goth sound is always in the background of his music. And that's, I think that's why his more adult contemporary and quote unquote uplifting tracks tend to have trouble is that he's trying to change a sound that he comes by quite honestly. And it's the same thing Susie had when she tried to do the same thing. It's like goth is not necessarily something you choose to do. Um, it it happens to you like that's, the, that's <laughs> Goth the, chooses you. I mean that's the that's the thing that happened with like the Cure because if you talk to or you look at anything that Robert Smith has said about it, he's like, I'm not a we're not a goth band. We are, however, very influential in the scene. He's like, we were just a band, and I was like, mm, honey, but you did this stuff, and he admits now, yes, we have a sound that is quintessential to this aspect, but it was not what we were trying to do outright, and like that's okay. And artists that that pioneered this, this entire sound, have had a historic battle trying to not make it set things sound that way. And I think that's what this album is, is that, like, Peter Murphy after Deep, 
where it's like, I want to make music that's not this. And then he kept making music that was exactly like Deep, but worse. And <laughs> it was... <laughs> yeah, and like, Deep is the... On one side of the adult contemporary divide, where it's this sort of Deep alternative is... pop music, and the and this just fell right over that line and into adult contemporary. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think Peter Murphy removed from the house just became corporate goth. Yeah, I mean this song, this album is like I, I would struggle to call this goth outside of. Uh, Huvola, like that song and I'll is, fall with your knife is very yeah lyrically it's there but it's not no and to- tonally there so it's i mean it's just way more alternative alternative rock circa the late 80s early 90s except recorded in or released in 1995 mm-hmm. when that was like really passe at that point i mean even by that time u2 was starting to go way more heavily into electronics to like freshen their sound up and and to come along and just be like hey guys (laughs) i made it it's like yeah you're late to the party peter (laughs) yeah it's like it's 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 one of those things where i want to like this album more because it's like it's peter murphy man i should like this way i don't though and I don't hate this album, and it's not. A, I don't necessarily necessarily want to say that it's bad. Oh, it's not bad. It, it's. I mean, like I said, it's ambitious, and he does. It's all done well. It's just, again, it, it's someone doing a good job of making a style of music that just neither of us are all that into. It, like, it, it comes from good influences. It, it just, for whatever reason, doesn't. It doesn't suit him. It, it's uh, like when artists who have no business making a metal album decide they're going to make a metal album this has happened in a few instances and they're always bad they're always bad don't do it yeah i think i think ultimately the idea is like there's a really fine line between having the sort of like mature like not pigeonholed into a subculture kind of art pop sound between that and adult contemporary and this again this just fails like i mean you could compare it to something like david sylvian too where it's oh man that's the more successful version of this that doesn't just become adult contemporary thinking about david sylvian gets me mad japan was so good (laughs) and then and then david sylvian's entire career happened and i'm just like why Sorry, I just my aesthetic begins and ends with in vogue. So, not not the soul singers in vogue, right? No, the the, the Japan <laughs> song in vogue. Somebody's never listened to Japan. I've listened to Japan. I was mostly making a joke, and I realized that the singers in vogue are not your aesthetic. No, very much not. But yeah, so yeah, this is an album that exists that what is competent yet disappointing in many ways. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is uh, This is what? This is probably going to be 
I would say at number 24? I would not put this above Carbon Sand. And number 25 then, because it's pretty close. I mean, I, I feel that Sixpence on the Richer album is probably better. Um, it's a situation it, it, where, again, we have to differentiate between how much do we value, like, the fun you have listening to a thing and how good it is. Like, this is definitely a more accomplished album than The Fatherless and the Widow, but I will go back to The Fatherless and the Widow 100% of the oh, time. Oh yeah, this album this. is not fun. I like, I like exactly one song on this album enough to put it on any other playlist. Yeah, but if we're gonna have, like, the goth block uh, on on the list, then, like, I this has to go below Carbon Sand, because that album is, is so much I so better goth music than I, this I, is. I personally love Car I loved Carbon Sand a lot. I love The Mission so much. Because The Mission never made any apologies for what the fuck they were doing, and they, they continue to do exactly what the fuck they want, and it is... And in some ways, again, that's a more successful version of this. Like, it's flowery and pretentiously poetic and unapologetic for it, and has no pretense of being an album for it's not a prestige piece yeah. like i feel like this album is trying to be it, it's just a, a good like goth rock album yeah and i mean the mission take themselves seriously but they don't take themselves as seriously as peter murphy takes themselves it, right i mean there's a difference between taking yourself seriously and and again i just feel like listening to this i feel like this was his bid to be like why am i not as well known and respected as sting it, when Sting left his great band to make adult contemporary albums. Well, the one thing is that Sting has a distinguished sound that doesn't mean doesn't isn't him emulating another person's sound. And I hope Peter Murphy never hears this because I'll be very sad. If I he bet does. Peter Murphy doesn't listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I have a feeling he might not, but if he does hear it, look, <laughs> my criticisms are valid. You, I could be nicer about it, and I apologize, but it's. Sometimes you hear someone who is very influenced by somebody, and that's all you can hear in their music. And for a lot of the the less great Peter Murphy tracks, that's all I hear is that like, what would Bowie do in this instance? And I'm like, not this, honey. <laughs> and <laughs> he would do this, but better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, fucking Buddha of Suburbia. Ugh. I tried to listen to that album recently to see if I wanted to put it on this show, which eventually we will. Yeah. But. It's only one good 90s Bowie album. All right, so we're gonna. this one's going to land at number 25 between Carved in Sand by The Mission and The Father Listen the Widow by Search Pence None the Retro. I feel good about that. Me too. I think that's a good, good place for it. All right, so for yet another week, no changes in our top 10. But in the interest of, if you're listening to this for the first time and want a sense of how we rank things. Uh, number 10, we have Anxiety by Fei Wong. Uh, number 9, What's the Story? Morning Glory by Oasis. Number 8, What Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. Number 7 is 10 by Pearl Jam. Number 6, Without You I'm Nothing by Placebo. Number 5, Till Uncle by Morrissey. Number 4, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number 3, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number two, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. And number one is Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And we will be back again next week with more rankings. And uh, what are you going to be ranking next week, Adrian? Uh, Nonsuch, or yeah, Nonsuch by XTC. 
and I will be bringing our second straight up hip hop album, um, three years, five months, and two days in the life of by Arrested Development. So get ready for some preaching next week. <laughs> it's a very preachy album. And get ready for you know every the arguably the best XTC XTC album. And I highly recommend that before the next episode you watch the video or demoed video for The Disappointed from this album because it is fucking great. Just great. Okay, so we'll be back next week with more. And until then, you can see our complete rankings at bit.ly slash nr1990s, bit.ly slash nr1990s. And on Spotify, you can find our official show playlist where you can hear every album we've ranked and the two that we'll be ranking next week. And uh, you can also listen to the podcast on Spotify, on YouTube, and and you can subscribe to it, which we like the best. And so until then, we'll be here with our goth-ass water, and we'll probably have that next week, too. Yep.